Hey there. Before we get to the show, I wanted to mention Bigger Pockets is hiring a full-time supervising producer for our podcast network. This is a remote position and it's a great opportunity if you have the right skill set. We're looking for someone with at least a couple of years experience managing production teams and someone who will feel confident taking the lead when launching new podcasts. So, would you or someone you know be a great fit? You can find the full job description at biggerpockets.com slash jobs. That's biggerpockets.com slash jobs to apply for our open podcast supervising producer job. Okay, now enjoy the show. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 268, Finance Friday Edition, where we talk to Paul about where to focus your investing. I don't have the goal of working to 65 and just, you know, piling up a huge pile of money to then, you know, use in the last you know quarter of my life. Um, I would love to like, you know, kind of trim back on my W-2 work and have more time to travel. And then, uh, you know, I would love to like expat and, you know, go live somewhere for a few years, pick up, move somewhere else for a few years and just kind of travel around to various places. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my refreshing perspective co-host, Scott Tretch. Always great to be here with my green co-host. That's not the right one, but uh, Mindy Jensen. (laughs) Green makes me sound like I'm new. (laughs) You're my green co-host. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or sustain a long-term investing strategy, hitting a bunch of singles, will help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards your dreams. I am excited to bring in Paul today because Paul is in a pretty good situation financially, and he's wondering where he should go next. Should he continue to contribute to his retirement accounts and his pre-tax tax uh, advantaged investment accounts, or should he continue to grow his real estate portfolio? And I think this is a question that comes up frequently for a lot of our listeners. And I think we have a pretty good discussion around the pros and cons of both today. Yeah, I, I think Paul is doing a lot of the, all, all, his fundamentals are extremely strong, which allow us to get into more advanced and tactical changes to his plan because he's doing he's got a very consistent, um, very high probability approach to investing here. It's not flashy. It's not going to you know make anybody rich overnight with that. But he is, I think, very likely to achieve his goals over the next five to 10 years um, with his approach. And, and um, the the suggestions we had were items of degree or nuance that not not really any fundamental changes to what he's doing. Uh, before we bring in Paul, my attorney makes me say the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice. And neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal tax or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants regarding the legal tax and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. You ever feel like your vacation rental sits empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Paul works full-time as a specialist of poison information at the Utah Poison Control Center. In the last year, Paul decided to take the next step in his spy journey and buy his very first rental property. Everything went so well with that property that he has increased his holdings to Five doors as of right now when we're recording, but in a couple more days, he will have yet another door. He's now trying to decide if further expansion of residential properties is the right way to go or if traditional stock market investments makes a better move for his long-term goal of becoming an expat. Paul, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I can't wait to jump into your numbers. Yeah, super happy to be here and uh, nerd out on financial stuff. <laughs> Well, you're in the right place because you got two nerds right here. Uh, let's look at your numbers really quickly. What is your income and where's it going? Yeah, so from my uh, W-2 work right now, I make about 116 And after uh, tax, my take-home pay is about 6 k a month. Uh, my rental properties right now um, gross about thirty six hundred, and you know, net after debt servicing about fifteen hundred a month. And those are my income uh, there. And then expenses. Uh, I don't keep a very strict budget. Um, I've never really had a problem with overspending. So I looked back at my personal capital account over the last two years and just kind of averaged out what am I spending um, after taking out uh, what I consider my business expenses. And that came to about 3000 maybe some you know 3300 a month. Uh, where that goes, um, about 1300 of that goes to 
uh, my primary, like just housing expenses, mortgage, utilities, et cetera. Uh, groceries, about 385 a month on average. Restaurants, 130 a month. Uh, gas, about 165. That comes about 2,000 or so. So about another thousand into just miscellaneous other expenses, insurance, et cetera, that I um, pay like bigger, like, you know, six months at a time to get a better rate on my insurance and stuff like that. So having two years of expenses average out to about $3,000 a month seems like your expenses is not a place that we're going to be focusing on to cut. No, I've never really had a problem with managing my expenses. I'm pretty frugal. Um, that got instilled in me pretty young. <laughs> well, nice. And so, so we're collecting about four to four and a half thousand dollars per month in cash is what I'm what I'm gathering here um, on average over the long term. Um, yeah, give or take. Okay, awesome. And then, um, so so where's that going? Where, where, where let's let's go through your net worth statement and and where uh, where your assets are are today. Yeah. So with um, the majority of my assets are mostly pre-tax accounts. Um, how I'm employed is I pretty lucky <laughs> for for the access that I get because um, uh, I'm employed technically through a state university. So I get um, access to like professor-like benefits. Um, so with that, I have a 401a account and my employer puts 14.2% in and I don't have to do anything for that. That's just automatic. Awesome. Um, and then uh, I get access to a 403b and a 457b. Uh, and so I technically can and used to max both of those um, accounts. So uh, my 401a currently has about 152,000. My 403b has about 59,000. My 457 has 52,000. Um, and so that's mostly pre-tax. I do have the option for Roth on those accounts. And I do have a little bit of my 457 in a Roth um, contributions and trying to decide like how to balance that out, what going forward. Um, and then I have my Roth IRA uh, right now has about 37,000 in it. I just finished maxing it out for the year a couple days ago um, and plan to keep maxing that out every year. And I have an HSA account that I uh, started a couple years ago uh, that has 13,000 in it uh, right now and plan to just keep that growing and not touch it if I can avoid it. Awesome. So what's the total between all these um, different accounts? Uh, right now, total is about 313000 Great. Um, what else do you have? What, what other assets do you have outside of these? Uh, so outside of that, it's real estate. Um, so uh, my primary residence, which I don't try to count too much into my uh, net worth statement, but I do have roughly 200000 in equity uh, in that. And then I have the rental properties. Uh, so um, in those, I probably have um, about 130000 in equity uh, right now and across my uh, five of my doors. And then I'm going to be adding one here shortly. Great. Any um, other assets like cash or, or anything else? Yeah, so I have roughly 22000 in cash, um, 
And so that's about half of that is kind of like my personal emergency fund. And then the other half of that is uh, in accounts for my rental properties. They're each individual emergency funds for each of those accounts and properties. Well, great. I, I mean, it sounds like we have a, a really strong financial position here, although there's a um, definitely a, a tendency of where it's going. All your, your, all of your, most of your net worth is in these in these um, retirement accounts with these types of things. What, what can we help you with today? So the biggest thing is just kind of like knowing where to focus. I tend to have a a tendency of like picking a goal and just going after it and kind of letting other things fall to the side. So like, you know, I went through school. That was my big goal. I came out, I had my student loan debt. I focused on that and got rid of my student loan debt in three, little over three years. And then I was like, all right, now it's retirement accounts. And I was maxing those out. And then I decided, okay, now I need to do real estate and kind of like let everything else fall aside. So I'm like, you know, continually making, I think, good progress and not making any terrible decisions. But yeah, am I trying to trying to kind of find, find that balance of where to best direct my efforts and, and find that right heading to head off in. Great. Well, I, th- I think the, the first part is kind of to understand what you want. Your, your current approach is likely to give you an enormous um, pile of money inside of these various retirement accounts, um, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road with that. So it's definitely not a wrong approach um, if you, if you sustain this and, and build that, build that wealth. But what, what is your goal that we can, that we can help you with? So despite loving my job and what I do, um, I have other passions and interests. <laughs> and so <laughs> I don't have the goal of working to 65 and just, you know, piling up a huge pile of money to then, you know, use in the last you know quarter of my life. Um, I would love to like, you know, kind of trim back on my W-2 work and have more time to travel. And then, uh, you know, I would love to like expat and, you know, go live somewhere for a few years, pick up, move somewhere else for a few years and just kind of travel around to various places. Awesome. And when do you want to achieve that by? Um, So if it was just me, (laughs) I would say sooner rather than later, but I do have a partner um, and we're like, in different places financially. And so she's not at a place where she could like pick up and leave. So probably the soonest seven to 10 years, but realistically probably maybe 10 to 15 years. Okay, great. Um, well, well, the, fir- the first thing that, that I would observe with, with this is you're funneling well, well, let me ask you. I'm going to ask you this question: How much are you funneling into these retirement accounts, inclusive of the benefits that you're getting? You got what sounds like 14 and a half or 15 percent of your your annual salary getting placed in by your employer into a tax deferred pl- um, retirement plan, right? Mm-hmm. What, what yeah. else? How much else is going in cumulatively? So, um, yeah, that my, from my employer, that's about 16.2 thousand a year right now. Um, going in. And then uh, because I, you know, started working on real estate, um, right now my contributions that I put into the pre-tax accounts is like a couple hundred bucks a month, just because I kind of went hard on real estate (laughs) and just needed more cash flow to acquire uh, more properties. 
How, how long has that been going on for? How many years have you been um, moving, you know, diverting more of the cash away from these retirement accounts and towards real estate? Um, so I purchased my first property August 2022. So like 15 months is when I started this real estate stuff. August 2020? Yeah. Okay. Um, so in, 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 through 20, because what, what your retirement accounts balances say is that you've been contributing heavily for several, many, many years with that. So the first thing I was going to say is, yeah, you, you should probably consider shifting away some of that spend from those retirement accounts to real estate. You're, you're already doing that. Um, and, and what do you, what are you kind of cumulatively going to set aside on an annual basis for real estate or other after-tax investments? Uh, so I'm trying to like figure that out. My, uh, my property manager will drop my property management fees from 10% to 8% if I get 10 doors. And so like with that incentive, I set that goal of getting 10 doors. And so that's kind of why I've been pretty aggressive in acquiring properties is to try to get to that and get the cheaper management fees. Where, where do you invest? I invest in Kansas. So you invest out of state from Utah in Kansas? Yes. Okay. And then how much, how much cash do you need to purchase one of these properties? What are the asset values and down payments? So, uh, the bulk of my properties are single family homes and, uh, the ones that I try to shoot for, I acquire them for 80 to 85,000. So all said and done to purchase a property, um, with, the like 30 year mortgages, about 22 to 25,000 cash. Uh, to close on them. So you need about $100,000 more cash to get to 10 doors. Yeah. Do you, this might be a silly question because your employer gives you 14% in the 401A. Do they give any sort of matching to the 403B or the 457 or the HSA? No, they don't. Um, It's just, you get this and then you have access to these other accounts. Okay, I just want to make sure we're not leaving any money on the table. Um, I did some math really quickly before we started, and uh, Paul is 33 years old. The rule of 72 says that approximately every seven to eight years, your investments will double, assuming a 10% return or something like that. Uh, At age 40, he will have $626,000. At age 47, 1.2 1.2 million at age 54, 2.5 million at age 61, 5 million at age 68, 10 million. Of course, this is approximate. Past performance is not indicative of future gains. I am not guaranteeing that this will be your balance in those years, Paul. But and, and that's the balance inside of retirement, the cumulative amount, the cumulative retirement accounts that he has. If he doesn't even contribute anything else going forward. So, in my opinion, you're doing pretty okay. You'll probably <laughs> be able to squeak by in retirement on what you've got saved currently. Um, I would agree with you that, and I will always say that you should continue maxing out your Roth IRA for as long as you are able to, because that grows tax-free and why pay taxes if you don't have to? Because um, I bet you can do a better job than the government can. So continue maxing out your Roth IRA, continue maxing out your HSA is what I would do if I was in your position. I may start pulling back on the 401k, the 403b, the 457, and all the options that you have to focus more on real estate because your real estate is getting a good return. Your rental property 
what are what are you renting it out for and what is your purchase price? What is your mortgage? I mean, I think you're getting pretty good numbers on these these deals. Yeah, so they all pretty much reach the 1% rule um, and they rent for 1% of what I acquire them for roughly. Um, and my, um, let's see, uh, my cap rate on most of them is, you know, seven to seven and a half percent. And they, they all rent for uh, a little more than double what the mortgage is. Um, you know, so it, my mortgages, a couple of them are around 400 and they rent for 900. My, I have a triplex that the mortgage is 875 and it rents for 1800. So they all are self-sufficient. And you, I mean, it sounds, it sounds to me like if you'd come in three years ago and said, what do I do here? I would have said, probably do exactly what you're doing here. Begin shifting a lot of the, the cat. You, you, you have a good income. You've got a good savings rate. You've got a strong financial position. All the fundamentals are there in in, in place with this. Um, your goal is ten is is uh, optionality in ten years, and you know that you can't you, you don't have enough income to do everything um, down the checklist, right? You can't you can't max the every single one of those those nice accounts that that you've listed there, um, and invest in after tax wealth that you can spend during your future as an expat um, uh, traveling the world with 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 all of that. So you need to begin shifting that over. You've done that. Um, you need about a hundred grand. That'll take you about two and a half years to save up um, in cash at the current rate, um, based on my back of the napkin. Maybe three, and that will buy you um, incrementally more of these properties. Maybe maybe take you three three and a half years if um, inflation picks up uh, on any of these things. But you might get a raise uh, in the meantime to offset that. And then and then it's kind of just you know keep um, uh, adding more onto it until you have that that margin of safety that you feel comfortable. Or you and your partner feel comfortable making that switch over over to, over to being an expat with this. So you're, you're doing all the right things um, um, for, from my perspective. I think it's just a matter of time. I do want to caveat that, though, that I'm not an expert on some of these these different accounts that you have access to. I know the 401k and the Roth IRA and the HSA, um, you know, uh, not, not being involved in a education or nonprofit or government institution. Is there any nuance we should be aware of with some of those accounts that would make them valuable tools in, in accelerating your, you know, that future financial state for you? Yeah. So as I was prepping, uh, pulling everything for this, I was reminded of something that I think could be really key for my goal of, you know, expatting before normal retirement age, and that's the 457B. Um, so with that one, as soon as I separate from my employer, there are no penalties to access that money. I would just pay, you know, taxes on it. And I have the option to Roth that as well. And I can put, as of next year, it's like, what, 20500 is the maximum. So, I mean, I could potentially Roth 20000 a year into that account. And then as soon as I leave my employer, access it penalty-free. Okay, so I'm glad I'm glad I asked there because that that those are there's always some funny stuff going on with, with with some of these accounts and and it's hard to keep them all straight if you're not if it's not something that's directly benefiting um you or, or tied to your position with that so that's very interesting to me and I think um let 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 let, let me just kind of think aloud through a couple of scenarios with that so you have two op you have a 457 you can withdraw the funds 
penalty free. You have the Roth and the 401k options. You can, you can defer that. Your plan is to become an expat and travel the world uh, with that. That means that you'll have several years where you earn very little income, most likely. So to me, that is actually an interesting case. It's, it's the Roth or the 401k, except you don't have to wait until you reach traditional retirement age. How does that change the math in the, in the game here? Well, to me, that says that's a really advantageous account to max out on the tax-deferred side, the 401k equivalent um, for, the, for those listening, and then withdraw that, you know, like with, withdraw the funds as you need it, paying ordinary income in a lower tax year while you're traveling or maybe earning very little income, if that is in fact your plan. So that, that, that makes that an attractive strategy. If you think it's truly going to be 10 years off and you're going to be buying rental properties the whole time, then you might consider just putting it into a Roth equivalent instead of trying to play the game I just discussed there, placing some into the tax deferred account and transitioning it over because you might find that your income um, grows pretty substantially from other sources over that period of time. Um, making you know, m- making that impact of arbitraging the tax benefits less valuable to you. I'm going to stop there and see what, what what's your reaction to that thought process. Yeah, so it, it's kind of all these things is like the nebulous. What's my future tax? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so you know, it, you know, it's how big am I going to grow my rental properties? You know, so how much income is going to be coming in from that? But then it's you know, treated differently tax-wise from W-2 income. Yeah, so, and I'm, I haven't been in the rental rental game long enough to fully wrap my head around all of the tax on the that income. And yeah, so ideally, these are long-term buy and hold. So I'll have income from that coming in. I'll have my retirement accounts for my W-2 employer, and it's just you know playing that balancing game of, you know, supplementing my rental income with my retirement account incomes and, you know, how much should be Roth, how much should be traditional tax deferred. And it's a big question (laughs) that I haven't quite wrapped my head around. (laughs) I have something to think about. Do you know how many rental properties you want to own? Like if here's a whole pile of money, you can buy as many as you want. What is enough? What is the most you want? What is the minimum you want? I am not one of those people that wants to have 10,000 rental properties. I think that would just be a full-time job that I don't want to deal with. But I'm in a different financial position than some people who maybe want to take that on. It just sounds like awfulness to me. Um, You have mentioned... 10 because that's when your property management fee drops. Is 10 something that you want? Is 10 a level of income that you will be comfortable with? Do you want 25? Yeah. So with that, you know, 10 got thrown up there because of that uh, incentive from the property manager. Um, And I think it's a good goal when looking at the uh, income that'll come off of that. It's not a huge income because you know, where they are, they aren't like, you know, renting for several thousand a month. They're renting for less than a thousand a month per door. Uh, so it's not a giant amount of money coming in from them. I think, you know, 10 ish <laughs> is probably cause I like, I like how passive it is. And I think if I grow it too big, it's not going to be as passive. 
And, you know, if I'm out expatting around the world, <laughs> I don't want it to be distracting me from what I'm doing, if, especially if from that far away. Okay. So it sounds like 10 is a good number. 10-ish, not 10 plus another 50 more. Um, yeah. I like Scott's thought process with the 457 as a way to either reduce your current taxable income or as a way to grow tax-free and take that money out later. But the more money that you're putting into the 457 plan is less actual cash you can use right now to invest in your rental properties. Do you have the opportunity to borrow from your 401A or your 403B or your 457 to take a loan out from them? Um, there were like some options for withdrawal, but they weren't very, I, I don't think I would qualify. Um, I Not think withdrawal. Like, it's like, a loan. Oh, yes, loans. I haven't specifically looked into loans on those. Um, I mean, what I have done because I have acquired the five, almost six properties so quickly is that I did tap my primary home equity and got a HELOC. And so I do have a HELOC that I have been using to, um, get down payments for some of these properties. Okay. And how are you paying back the HELOC? Uh, with that extra 3000 a month that I don't spend on my regular income. So Scott, what would you do in this position? Would you contribute to the 457 traditional to reduce your income? Or would you save the cash to buy more rental? Like, What's the market like where you're buying? I'm assuming you're buying all near each other or in the same city or the same very close to each other area? Um, yeah, they're all they're all in the same city um, because I need to keep them all in the same property manager. <laughs> um, okay. you know, so they're all pretty close. The markets, you know, it it's kind of funny, like some things will come and go really fast, but everything that I've picked up is stuff that for some reason just has sat for a month or two <laughs> on the market. So like those are those are out there. Everything I bought is off the MLS. You know, I'm not out there, like sending letters or doing anything unique or you know exciting in how I acquire them. I just you know scour for deals off the MLS. I mean, I, I think I think that the changes I would make would be very minor with this, and would and, and maybe maybe there wouldn't be very many. Paul's got a strategy here that is very likely to win. It's an aggregation of singles. There's no there's no home runs. There's nothing fancy about what what he's doing with any of this stuff. He's saving 30, 40, 50 grand a year um, on, on his income, spending very little, um, maxing out his retirement accounts and buying singles um, from a rental property perspective with a long term focus um, in, in all in one area and a pretty passive and sustainable way. So what's not to like about that? If your goal is if your goal is to have a uh, very passive, uh, sustainable level of wealth 10 years down the road, you're doing all the right things, in my opinion. And I think it's, I think it's going to work <laughs> uh, most likely. You never know, but I don't, I don't see how you, could, you can go that. I do want to call out, your, hey, you're using a HELOC for the down payment, right? I, I don't like that for folks that are not in your situation. If, if that's your only access to capital, I don't think that's a good call. You're doing it to modestly accelerate by eight to 10 months um, each of these purchases and then paying off the HELOC with that. So you're, you're viewing it as a short-term loan from what I'm what I'm hearing um, and paying it off with, with cash flow that you can reasonably sustain. I think if you were to go bigger and pull out from your 401k, 
um, or not your 457 and all the, all the equivalents of the 401k that you listed earlier, um, that you're probably increasing things by about two to two and a half years, which may not be really sustainable. It might put a little bit of stress on you um, if, if things don't go according to plans. I, I don't really love the idea of using more short-term debt to accelerate your purchase timeline with that. I think that that's, that's, a, that's not... Um, and, and congruent with the strategy of hitting singles that I think you've you've pulled here, I think the HELOC is fine with that. But I so I I love everything about this, and I think it's going I think it's gonna work. I think you're gonna you're gonna do really well. Um, you might consider with a ten year time horizon uh, diversifying a little bit at some point. You're buying all in Kansas. I don't know that market. Uh, specifically well, but my instinct is to think that's not going to be a highly appreciating market. It's going to be a cash cow um, for, for some of these things. And there is opportunity for upside in maybe some markets that maybe have that that appreciation potential at some point in your journey um, with that. You may, you might find um, that you might want that, that mix, but I, I, I like what you're doing there. I think that you do have a very minor um, challenge uh, that, that has no real right answer about whether I want to max out the 401k portion of the 457, the, the pre-tax, uh, tax-deferred um, uh, retirement account portion, or go into the Roth alternative. I always have a bias towards the Roth. But in this case, uh, if you do think you're going to have lower taxable income in a few years, um, if you travel the world or get a new job, and you really want to plan around that, the the, the Roth conversion ladder um, that, we've t- that, that has been discussed in, in a lot of things may be there may be a really, really uh, good option for that for you um, with this account that may be more advanced and you might have to do some exploration there. So I'd, I'd learn about that and that may tweak your allocation a little bit. But I mean, there's not much to change here at the end of the day. I think it's a really strong uh, position and it seems like it's it's very sustainable and likely to get you to where you want to get to. How's that for a rant? I don't think we really covered the fact that his rental properties right now are grossing thirty six hundred and netting about fifteen hundred with the five that he has. He's got a goal of ten. I think it's safe to assume that your future numbers will mimic your current numbers. So you're spending three thousand dollars a month with your current income. You have fifteen hundred coming in from your rentals. Doubling your rentals will effectively double your income. Now you've got income to replace your W-2. And when you're off expatting around the world, I'm guessing you're going to travel to some places that are less expensive than America, which is pretty much everywhere. Not everywhere, but most everywhere. I mean, there and, you know, you can also kind of game the system like the millennial revolution couple when the markets, you know, are high, they can go to the more expensive locations. And when the markets are kind of tanking a little bit, they do this geographic arbitrage where they're visiting places in Southeast Asia where it's way less expensive to live for a week or a month or a year. So, you know, there's there's ways to kind of game the system, but it seems like what you're doing is going to get you to your goal very quickly. Um, I did mention the rent, the loan from the retirement accounts, and I didn't clarify that. Um, that would be a short-term option, like maybe some amazing deal came up, and you're like, ooh, if only I had $50,000 more, you can take this loan out, buy the property, and then you know figure out a way to repay the loan. But uh, yeah, I don't like the idea of taking out a 401k loan 
for an extended period of time or using that as the way to fund your property purchases all the time, but as an opportunity to take advantage of a really great opportunity. Yeah. And I, I think part of the reason I've been so aggressive in acquiring properties is like, you know, interest rates have been great. <laughs> and so yeah, I figured get it, get well, the getting's good. And, you know, just kind of every time I close on one, I'm like, all right, I'm good. I need to give it a little bit of time. I need to pay off this HELOC. And then before I get done paying off the HELOC, <laughs> I see another deal <laughs> and it just looks too good to pass up. <laughs> so the the loan is, I guess, another potential option if I decide that the HELOC route doesn't work very well. And all of my accounts are with Fidelity, so I am sure there's a way to do it. Like, I just haven't explored that option. Yes, yeah, some plans will allow you to take out a loan and some plans won't. The max that you can borrow is 50% of the value or $50,000, whichever is lower. Uh, so I think, yeah, the, I mean, there's, there's options and I don't know that you can do uh, both the 401A and the 403B loan, but that is just a research opportunity for you. Yeah. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turned to Nerd Wallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let Nerd Wallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. I'm curious. Have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. 
head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. netsuite.com slash bpmoney. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Uh, Some of the questions that you had asked us ahead of time, are you going too fast acquiring properties? I think that you're not because you have, uh, for you specifically, I think that you're not because you have a good cash position. If somebody else were coming in and saying, I only have $11,000 in my personal uh, savings account or my emergency fund, and I only have $11,000 for my five doors, I would be like, ooh, let's talk about that a little bit. So um, I am going to ask you a little bit about that. Well, but you've got the, the, the huge delta between what you're bringing in every month and what you're spending which will allow you to cover an expense. So uh, let's look at the condition of your properties. Let's talk about those really quick. Yeah, so they're all older homes. Um, One of my properties, I think, just passed 100 years old. Um, But uh, other ones are about 50 to 60 years old. Um, But they've all had like, you know, fairly good upkeep. None of them were in disastrous states as I acquired them. The one I'm acquiring next week was just flipped. Yeah, so it's got a new water heater, a new roof, new paint, new, you know, new carpet, (laughs) all of that stuff. Um, You know, so with them being older houses, there's little things that, you know, obviously could age out and need to be uh, replaced. But um, right now, the probably the closest thing to needing to be done would be like AC units. Um, the rest of them, all all of my inspections were pretty good that everything was in decent condition. Okay. And that's, that is, I, I, this is more towards people who are listening, who are thinking about getting into uh, real estate and thinking, oh, he's got $11,000 in his reserves. That's great. Scott, when he first started, he had $10,000 in his reserve fund for his first property, which was a duplex. So two doors, $10,000. And then he bought another two doors, another $10,000. So he had $20,000 because he was investing in a different way than you are. He had a different job. He was in a different position and he wanted to be secure. You are in a different financial state. I mean, if you had to, let's say every AC unit breaks in every single one of your properties, you could find a way to cover that. You have credit cards, you have a HELOC, you have income from your job, you have 401k that you could borrow from, you've got a lot of different pots you could stick your fingers into to come up with 
the funds for this. You could finance it. I mean, there's a lot of different options available to you because I think one of the best reasons is because of the delta between what you're bringing in and what you're spending. Yeah, you, you make 116000 a year, plus you get $16,000 uh, contributed into your 401k, plus you've got your, your rental income with that, um, and you spend 36000 a year, um, give or take, with that. So, I, I mean, that... that in in a you know in a, in a little bit of a paradox there allows you to you're, like you're, you're you're I'm not concerned with your capitalization at all with that you have twenty two thousand dollars in cash you've got a HELOC available you probably have loans against the retirement accounts as Mindy mentioned there and you generate forty to sixty thousand dollars per year in 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 cash um, or or could with with very minor tweaks to your retirement allocations with that because of the way you spend with that so i I just think that that there's not a lot of 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 big risks in your position that you're taking again i I think you're ta- you're you're on a path towards hitting a large number of of singles over the years with that and you're you're what it's it seems pretty sustainable to me to, to buy two of these properties per year, if that's, if that's how you were to choose to allocate your, your, your cash generation for this, I mean, coming up with 40 grand should not be a, a, a huge issue for you, depending on again, how you allocate, um, that towards these, these investments. And that'll s- begin to snowball subtly over the next couple of years as you buy more, um, and get the cash flow generation from them. Uh, I do think you're you're overestimating your cash flow from the properties a little bit because there is probably some capex reserve and turnover events that you probably haven't experienced quite the same way as like a landlord with with five ten years. Um, so I would might I might cut that cash flow number in half and assume like another five hundred to seven hundred fifty um, uh, per month for for some of those things until you have reason not to with with uh, a couple more years. But your 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 the fundamentals are I think really good. Yeah, and I you know. With the the numbers as they've worked out so far, that's what it's about. But I like I do kind of like factor in like, all right, what am I realistically like calling profit from these? As I would say, probably around nine hundred um, or so uh, after estimations for you know future vacancies and capex expenses, um, and you know they're all right now. I'm not pulling any money off of them. They're the money's just building up the the reserve accounts for them right now. And as everything's worked so far, like it's all worked out luckily. (laughs) And I haven't had to really dip into any, any personal funds since the very beginning of, of acquiring the first properties. Yeah. I'm not worried about your capitalization with that at all. I I think you've got a, a, a really good grasp on that. Where you get worried is when when somebody has you know makes your makes your income saves seven thousand dollars a year and has three HELOCs going um, where they're pulling cash out of one property to buy the next one buy the next one that's a chain reaction that is waiting to happen in a down market with that I don't think yes. that's, I don't think that's something that you're you're at risk of yes that's the point that I wanted to make I want to make it clear that Paul's doing great because he has a lot of different options have a lot of options and that. I mean, this sounds so stupid to say, but when you have all these options available, you have so many more options available. When you just have the one source of income, when you just have the one source of cash, your options are very limited, but you've got money everywhere, Paul. Your fundamentals are so strong <laughs> that it, allow, like, it allows you to take a little bit more risk with that because because you're saving 60, 70, 80% of your, your, your overall income. And uh, uh, one thing that also kind of popped into my mind is like, I'm 
probably getting close to um, reaching the limit for Roth IRA contributions. <laughs> so I probably need to put some pre-tax money into uh, accounts to lower my adjusted gross income. <laughs> 2022 Roth limits are 144,000. Okay, so uh, I've got a little way, little MAGI, room there. So you still have a little bit of room. You, yeah, I, I would imagine your rental properties are going to create a passive loss for you or be very, very close to, 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 to no net income. I don't know that. You have to talk to your CPA mm-hmm. with that, but I, I don't think you're close on that front. Um, well, maybe in, in a few years, but. Ooh, and since you have five rentals that you have acquired this year, I really hope that you have a CPA that you've been working with who can help you with all of your uh, fun new tax deductions and depreciation and all the things that come with owning rental properties. Definitely. Yeah. The second I got my first property, I was like, I'm not (laughs) trying to figure out this tax game. So I got a CPA immediately. And, um, you know, I know I acquired my first ones like fairly late in the year. And so they had initial expenses and almost no income (laughs) for the year. And so there's, I believe quite a store of like roll forward deductions that we have just ready to utilize. Nice. Well, may you pay nothing in taxes because that's the way the tax code was written. Well, what what else can we help you with today? What what are any any other questions you had or, or areas you want us to touch on? Um, and I think we've kind of covered the bulk of it here. Uh, it's just good to think it out <laughs> and um, you know, know that what I'm doing doesn't seem crazy to other people. <laughs> so, <laughs> Not crazy to us. Not crazy to a lot of the people that are listening. Crazy to some of the people who are listening. There's some people who are listening who'll be like, ooh, I don't want to invest in real estate. Then don't. That's fine. You don't have to invest in real estate. But what you're doing, like Scott said, is solid investing. You're not doing anything crazy. Are you able to sleep at night based on the way that you're investing? Usually. <laughs> when, when I got a new closing happening, I get kind of excited. <laughs> but you're not staying up late like, oh, how am I going to pay my mortgage tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, like, the, I I just kind of like focus on like, all right, I've really got to buckle down and get this HELOC paid off because I, I don't like unnecessary debt. Like, I just, I try to, you know, for a long time, I didn't like any debt. When I graduated school and had 100K of debt, I <laughs> wanted to get rid of it as fast as I could. <laughs> And yeah, so, I hear uh, but it, I, I've become better with, uh, you know, real estate debt because I can, I've seen you now what it can gain. Yeah. I think you're doing a great job. I think that uh, in two years, you should call us back and check in and we'll be like, oh, look at all that amazing sweet cash flow that you have. And look at you were able to quit your job eight years earlier than you thought you would. I like it. So I might stick around a little bit longer than that, but. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Paul, this has been a lot of fun. No, this has been fun. I, th- I think, I think, look, I, I, I can't compliment your, your situation enough with that. I think you've got a, a, a wonderful um, set of fin- financial fundamentals in place here. You're hitting a lot of singles with this. I, I can't argue with the approach to buying for, you know, solid um, cash flow in the Midwest, um, like what you're doing there. Um, this is not a get rich quick plan, but I think it will a very high probability to carry you towards your goals. Um, I don't think you have any problem with, with, you know, your HELOC or other debts. You can, they're all six months or less payoff period for you. If you, if you choose to do anything, um, um, on any of that on the short-term debt and you're using them pretty, 
pretty intelligently. You have a question about the 457B that depends on how you think your income and tax situation is going to evolve over the next 10 to 50 years. Good luck with that one. Um, and and, and uh, yeah, I think it was a good discussion. And, and uh, I think a lot of people should be trying to emulate a lot of the things you're doing. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. It's good to know that, yeah, I'm in a good spot. <laughs> you're in a very good spot. I'm excited for your real estate portfolio. And I text me when you are uh, email me when you get the final closings and then tell me, keep me up to date on your next properties. I will. Okay, Paul, it is time for the famous four questions. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, Paul, what is your favorite finance book? Uh, so we we briefly mentioned uh, Bryce and Christie. Uh, so I did really like their book, Quit Like a Millionaire, um, despite their disdain for rental properties or property man ownership. <laughs> um, uh, the concepts I thought were really great, but I also really like the Million Next Door, Millionaire Next Door um, and the, the Next Millionaire Next Door. Those are great books. In Bryce and Christie's defense, they're Canadian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What what was your I love all of those books um by the way so highly recommend what was your biggest money mistake uh the biggest one is probably when I was uh in my early 20s and still in school uh I thought it was a good idea to get talked into setting up a, an IUL policy or a whole life insurance policy that I totally didn't need and <laughs> it was just kind of a waste of money that I could have been putting into a, a Roth IRA instead can you give us a little bit more detail on that? Because I was just thinking that it would be it's about time to get somebody on who has a regret story or a success story from a whole life insurance policy. Yeah. So, I mean, I someone that I really kind of like admired as far as like I thought they were really rich um, had, you know, kind of talked me into it, <laughs> sold it to me. Um, and so, you know, it's just like the whole um use life insurance as an investment. And then I learned later on that those shouldn't mix <laughs> and better idea to keep them separately. You know, so I was paying like, you know, probably 250 or so a month um, for this policy. And by the time I figured out it wasn't good and uh, canceled it, I think I got back like 1200 bucks after like three and a half years. <laughs> Yeah. So and, and and so you for two hundred and fifty bucks a month, you probably had two hundred fifty thousand dollar policy or something like that. Uh, I think it was actually a million dollar policy because I was twenty and really healthy. Okay. <laughs> um, but you know, one that just I really had no use having. I didn't have any dependents. I didn't need life insurance. <laughs> and then and then if you contribute to these things over the course of you know several years, that they don't tell you is the equity balance doesn't really begin building up in a meaningful way until about ten years down the road with that. Yeah. Um, and then you cancel the policy and you're left with nothing, um, or in your case, fifteen hundred bucks. So um, love it. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Life insurance has a place, but when you're twenty with no dependents, that's probably not the right place. Yep. Okay. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? Uh, I think that there's just so much information out there in general that trying to consume it all is like trying to drink from a fire hose. Uh, so rather than <laughs> trying to figure out everything, find something that interests you and learn about that. It's much more manageable. And I think you'll gain a lot more in that doing that. Well, most important question of the famous four here. What is your favorite joke to tell at parties? Um, how much does a roof cost? Oh, how much does a roof cost? 
Oh, sorry, I screwed that up. <laughs> How much does a thousand shingle dollar bills? Oh, no, okay. <laughs> no, I messed that up. <laughs> How much does a chimney cost? <laughs> How much does a chimney cost? Nothing. It's on the house. <laughs> I love it. We were having a fire sale of, of roof jokes. <laughs> Or if terrible. by chance they say that that does it's on the house, you say nope, it's through the roof. So either way, they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like the twist ending. Okay, Paul, where can people find out more about you? Uh, so I don't have a very big social media presence, but I do uh, you know, participate in the Bigger Pockets Money Facebook group. Um, or if you want to reach out to me, we can put my email in the show notes. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, we'll put the email in the show notes. Yep. Yep. And the Bigger Pockets Money Facebook group is at facebook.com slash groups slash BP money. And the show notes can be found at biggerpockets.com slash money show 268. Okay, Paul, this was super fun. Thank you so much for your time today. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Okay, Scott, that was Paul. That was an amazing story. And something you mentioned several times in this episode, Scott, was singles. The concept of uh, a, a single as a like a base hit as opposed to a home run phenomenal deal. And Paul is making really great investments, but they're not these sexy, amazing, oh my goodness, I have to tell you about this amazing deal that I just found deal. They are singles, base hits, and that's okay. That's perfect actually, because that follows in with his investment strategy. He's not trying to retire tomorrow. He's trying to retire in eight to 10 years or 10 to 15 years. And that's fine. These are great investments that are going to yield solid cash flow for 10 or 15 years. And we'll see what happens you know, down the road, but he's doing really well. And I think that we don't focus enough on the boring investments, the basic investments. There's a lot of talk in real estate about these flashy and amazing deals. And right now those really aren't out there. The, you know, I bought it for a dollar and it's it cash flows $12 million a minute. Like that doesn't happen right now in this market and that's okay. But, you know, looking for solid deals is there's still solid deals out there, just maybe not in your specific market. So, you know, he's going outside of he's in Utah and Utah is a hot, hot, hot market. So he's looking at another market that he's familiar with. Yeah, and and I don't want to discount the the notion of home runs and, and those types of things. We, we we talked to Charlotte from Charlotte a few weeks ago, um, and she's hitting home runs with her short term rental empire that she's starting to build. But she's she can afford to be a lot more actively involved in her properties because um, she doesn't work full time uh, with 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 some of those things. And so that I think it just depends on your strategy. I wouldn't like the idea of building a short term rental very active. I think short term rental portfolio. Um, for Paul, based on the fact that he works full time um, at this job and he's investing out of state, um, those that could certainly change for a lot of things. But it just depends on your situation, right? You know, and and it's spend less, earn more, invest or create. And you know, Paul is not playing the create card or the he's not pulling that lever right now, and that's totally fine. His approach is going to be very successful, and I think for for many people earning in that middle, upper middle class range that I, I would put Paul smack in the middle of um, from an income standpoint. This is a great approach. Um, and, and and I think a really, really stress-free path to financial freedom over, over a moderate period of years. Yeah. And uh, like we said in the show, his specific situation is, you know, we're okay with the way that he's purchasing these properties. 
because of his specific financial situation. And if he had a different situation where maybe he's not making as much money or he's spending almost everything that comes in, we'd have different advice. So um, I wanted to just reiterate that. I love the way that he's uh, safely investing. And safe isn't the right word when you discuss investments because of course, you know, nothing is guaranteed. But sustainably investing. Sustainably not very riskily investing to build wealth and cash flow down the road. So I think he's doing a great job. And I was very delighted to talk to him today. One quick call out before we go. Um, um, anyone, we, are, we, I think I would be interested in hearing from folks who have used whole life or universal life insurance policies um, in the past and have either horror stories or success stories with that. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's a very small use case for those. And so I'd be interested in hearing anybody um, who has been happy with their their plan. Uh, one rule though, you can't reach out to us if you sell or have sold uh, the, the whole life insurance policies on that, um, unless we disclose that and learn, learn about that because um, we get some very enthusiastic people uh, from these policies who uh, after we do a little digging, we find... Um, have some incentive to promote them. Well, great. Should we get out of here on that on that um, fun on that note? super happy note? Yes. From episode two hundred and sixty eight of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen. Saying, "Be sweet, parakeet." And small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month, four kitchens and bathrooms you can renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can afford? Which market and which deal is best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions, all to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devtha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. That's biggerpockets.com slash F-O-U-R. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.